Welcome to Mountain View Church Audio, coming to you from the Wilderness City, Whitehorse, Yukon. We strive to introduce people to Jesus through scripture, biblical instruction, and prayer with authenticity and vibrancy. You don't need to know anything about the Bible. Just sit back, relax, and let God do the rest. Welcome to Mountain View Church. My name's Elijah, and I'm one of the pastoral apprentices here at Mountain View. Uh, Currently, we are going through a preaching and teaching series in the book of Galatians, and week after week, we're just going to be camped out in one particular passage. What we're doing is we're studying the fruit of the Spirit, and um, the fruit of the Spirit really kind of shows us as as we go and we study these different character traits that God is trying to cultivate in his people, Uh, It demonstrates for us a kind of image of who we want to be one day as we try to model Christ. Um, Now, going through this list, I think it's important to just start out by acknowledging that when we talk about fruit, we have to understand God's not um, just using an illustration there. He's actually trying to convey some meaning in the term fruit. So for any of you who have been around gardening or maybe uh, you're involved in agriculture, you know that the process of gardening, um, it actually involves a whole bunch of stuff. You can't just wish for a potato to turn up in your ground. You actually, you actually have to do some work. When we look at the term cultivate, it implies, I think, three main things, and we should keep this in view as we go through our sermon today and we continue on in the series that we're preaching through. First of all, the cultivation process requires work, actual hard work. If you've been there before, you know that you have to prepare the ground, You have to plant the seeds. You have to go through the work of weeding and dealing with pests. There's a lot involved. And then once the fruit is ripe, you actually have to harvest it. The second thing that this brings to mind is, of course, that the right conditions need to be met. Okay, so when we're trying to grow fruit or grow vegetables, we need to ensure that whatever it is our plants need, they actually have them, the right amount of sunlight, water, so on and so forth. No matter how bad you want a potato to grow, if you plant it into a marsh, It's not going to grow, right? That's not the environment that it needs. And the last thing, and the most important thing, is that in the cultivation process, it takes time. It actually takes time. You cannot wake up overnight and be the person that God intends for you to be tomorrow. As badly as you want to, as willing as you are to put in the work in this moment, it's not going to happen for you that easily. The cultivation process, whereby the Holy Spirit works in your life, is a journey that you're on and it will take you the rest of your life to get to where God intends for you to be. The good news is that you aren't, you aren't doing all of this on your own, right? You're not solely responsible for doing all the work. You're not solely responsible for knowing all the things. And in fact, God is going to be alongside you throughout this entire journey. Today, we're going to be talking about the fruit of peace. And as I approached this sermon, I thought it would be a very easy topic to preach on. I actually looked at it and I thought, oh, okay, I know, I I, I can explain that very clearly. It's very simple. And uh, interestingly enough, I found out that it wasn't quite as simple as I thought it was at first glance. I'll start off by asking a very simple question for you guys, and you can maybe think about it for a few moments. Um, What is peace? Like, what is it? You might be tempted to kind of look at the term and say, well, it's a life of peace. It's just one that is free of conflict. And to some degree, you would be right. Or The way that you deal with conflict kind of reflects the amount of peace that you experience in your life. 
it's obvious that a life of peace cannot actually coexist with certain behaviors. The passage that we're studying in the book of Galatians, what, it, what the author has done, his name's Paul, and he wrote it to a church in Galatia about 20 centuries ago. What he's done is he's compiled this list of the fruit of the Spirit. But if you go back a few verses, what you're actually going to see is that he's contrasting the fruit of the Spirit against some things that he calls the works of the flesh. Okay, so if you go into verses 19 through 21, you'll find them there. And I kind of made my own list of um, different behavioral patterns or uh, different character traits that are just completely at odds with a life of peace. The, the Apostle Paul includes the terms enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. Right? These are what the Apostle Paul would call works of the flesh. And honestly, it's pretty self-evident that if you look at those things and you say, okay, I know a person, or I myself, I uh, succumb to fits of anger all the time. You're not going to then say, but I'm also a very peaceful person. So it's pretty obvious that there are some things that just are completely contradictory to a life of peace, and that's true. But if you go too far down that line, what you'll, you might make the mistake of convincing yourself that the ultimate goal is just a life free from conflict. You might convince yourself that if you can get away from negative things in life, that you can live a life of peace. Um, and I, I would actually challenge you on that, and I would say that what you're describing isn't peace at all. It's apathy. The life that God's called us to is not a detached life where we're not concerned with the well-being of others. It turns out that through this life that you're living, you're going to experience a bunch of hard things, and people that you love are going to be challenged by difficult circumstances. And the goal for you in achieving peace in your life is to not learn to avoid caring about those things. In fact, one of the great tragedies of the human race that we experience day after day is our own lack of concern for those around us. It's a huge problem. We're confronted with it every day. See, for this sermon, I'm, I'm quite preoccupied with ensuring that we dispense with any bad ideas about the term peace before we move forward. I think it's really important that we do that because if we don't understand what peace is, we will go out in search of the wrong thing. We'll look in the wrong direction for something that God never promised to give us. In fact, the, the difference between the peace that the Bible talks about and the peace that, that we see in the world or the definition of peace that we might hold is radically different. We, ha we have to acknowledge that the peace that the Bible talks about is a complete departure from the kind of peace that the world would sell to you. And Jesus made this incredibly clear as he taught his disciples. Uh, if you go into your Bibles and you look at John uh, chapter 14, verse 27, he says a pretty, uh, a pretty remarkable thing about peace, actually. He says these words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Now, if that statement's true, if what Jesus is saying here is true, that the peace he's offering is not like what the world gives, then we have to acknowledge that if we look anywhere else but the Bible for our definition of peace, we're going to come to the wrong conclusion and seek out the wrong thing. To give you a bit of context for what he was, the, the kind of cultural situation he was speaking into, if you were to go back 2,000 years to the time that Jesus was alive on earth and engaged in ministry, it was actually at a time where the Roman Empire was at its peak. The Roman Empire, if you know anything about history, was a military force to be reckoned with. 
And at that time, they had conquered and subjugated a whole mass of people groups. And interestingly enough, if you look at what most historians write about the Roman Empire, they will say explicitly that the Roman Empire ushered in a time of peace that hadn't been seen before in that region. Okay, and if you even fast forward to the kind of time that we live in now, and you look at North America, um, you look at the state of Canada, we would say that we're currently experiencing a time of peace, um, and America's experiencing a time of peace, but really that has very little to do with the citizens of these countries being completely peace, at peace in their heart, and more to do with military supremacy. See, the kind of peace that the world promises is a peace that is enforced by threats of violence. And when Jesus came in, he wanted to make absolutely clear to his disciples that if you're looking for that kind of peace through the gospel and a pursuit of him, you're not going to find it. And so you might say, well, that has very little to do with me, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not in politics, right? I'm not running a country, so that view of peace isn't influencing me. But I would challenge you there as well. See, this, this picture of peace that the world draws for us, that's solely reliant on getting our own way, affects us in our personal lives. M many of us, myself included, we, pr we proclaim peace when things are going the way that we intend for them to. If you were here last week um, and you heard Pastor Jeremy's sermon, he kind of mentioned that whenever a person is called to preach on a certain topic, God will often give them a, a, a situation in their life that really ensures that they have some skin in the game regarding what they're preaching about. Last week, Jeremy had to preach on the, on the, the fruit of the Spirit joy after having a week of basically just being kicked while he was down over and over again. It was a very hard week. And then he had to stand exactly where I'm standing and tell everyone how to choose joy. So he had to work through some really difficult things to be able to actually deliver a message and be sincere about it. Now, for myself, um, my whole view of peace has been radically shaken in the last few weeks. I, um, for those who know me, um, I like everything done in a very particular way. That's just the way that I look at the world. Um, and this translates into big things, but mostly it's small things around my household. You could ask my wife about it, right? She's, unfortunately, she's uh, one of those people who has to deal with a husband kind of hanging out over her like a vulture waiting for her to finish with her dishes after supper so that I can wash them, right? My whole view is that if the kitchen isn't clean, the house is a mess, and everything's chaotic, and you might laugh and you might think it's funny, but the truth is, if I'm not careful, I will actually build my peace on ensuring that my household is kept the way that I want it to be. Now, this is... One thing that's pretty easy to keep control over, but lately, over the last three or four weeks, um, there have been a lot of areas in my life where things have really fallen apart. Some things, I'm pretty self-critical. Some things, I'm sure, I, you could chalk them up to negligence, laziness, and poor performance on my part. Okay, that's true. But a whole bunch of the things that are going wrong in my life r right now um, have very little to do with anything that I can control. I just have to react to all these situations that seem to be falling apart. And unfortunately, because I have built my peace on a bad foundation, I have been very challenged in the last three weeks. This is why I think it's so important that we get the definition of peace right. If you do what I've done and you build your peace on ensuring that things go your way, it's all fine until they don't. And then you find yourself in a place where the people that you interact with, the people that you should be able to support and shepherd and guide, 
Now they have to, now you have to lean on them. Now you're taking their emotional resources instead of being the person that God's called you to be, a counselor, a person who can support others in times of need, someone who's emotionally available. And I've struggled with that in a pretty big way. And so at this point, you know, as we've, I've kind of talked about peace for about 10 minutes, you might have noticed that I'm being pretty evasive about defining it, right? That I've made an effort to just say it's not this and it's not that and it's definitely not that over there, but I haven't given you a clear definition of what it is. Um, and if you've noticed that, that I've been evasive and kind of elusive about it, that's intentional, okay? I don't think that the peace that God offers, the peace of God that he intends for us to experience as we enter into a relationship with him and follow him is something that you can just sum up in a few words. And I don't think that a textbook definition can do it justice. And I'm certain that being able to recite a definition will not change the state of your life or the condition of your soul and change you from the inside out. I believe that that's incredibly true. And I, I myself am not the only one who feels this way. Uh, if you look elsewhere in your Bible, you'll find um, the author who wrote the letter we're studying in the letter to the Galatian church, he wrote another letter to a church in Caesarea Philippi. And in his closing statements, he's encouraging his, his brothers and sisters there to continue um, developing the relationship with God, being diligent in, in prayer particularly. He said he's encouraging them to not be anxious, to not have... Um, to not engage in a state of fear on a regular basis, but to just bring all their concerns to God who cares for them. And it's his hope, it's his goal that should, should his brothers and sisters in Christ do this, that something will be achieved. Looking at Philippians 4.7, he says that the result of this is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, that is a radical statement regarding the nature of peace, and it marks a pretty significant departure from the kind of peace that the world would sell you. The, the world says, you know, buy this book, there's five steps to find peace in your life. Buy this product, and the kind of peace that you'll experience will be remarkable. The world wants to give you all these things that you can just shoehorn into your life so that your life becomes peaceful. And, and God comes up against that and says that's not the solution at all. And in fact, if you, if you look to the world for your peace, you'll never find it there. And even the peace that he is offering to us is something that you almost can't wrap your fingers around. And I think as elusive as the, the, the definition of peace might be, an important question that we need to ask we need to ask ourselves every day is, why don't we have it in the first place? Perhaps the most pertinent question is, why is it that we seem to be looking for a state that, for whatever reason, we're not in right now? Right? That's the question that's on most people's mind. How do you, how do you find peace? Well, I, would I counter that with the question, why are you looking for peace? How can you even know what it is? Right? What's the condition? What's the state that you're looking for? Our lack of peace is sold to us as a kind of consumeristic nation, as a, an external problem. Fix your relationship with your boss, fix your relationship with your, your spouse, get your finances sorted out. Do these things and you'll find a sense of peace that will, that will be able to endure and carry th you through all these difficult seasons of life. But our lack of peace is not an external problem. You can't look outside to solve it. 
In fact, our lack of peace is an internal problem that has one source, and it's a source that we actually have no hope of overcoming on our own. The Bible would tell us that it's a sin problem, that there's this perfect relationship God intended for us to be in with him, that we were actually created to look to God and, and actually hold him high as our complete and absolute love and joy, to show the world that we see him as our perfect treasure. And we've turned away from that. And as a result of breaking connection with the God who loved us and created us for himself, we find ourselves unable to, to actually find peace anywhere else. As I was preparing for the sermon, I found that there was actually a quote that really just summarized this, this problem so clearly um, and, and gave, us the, gave me the best impression of how, how can I communicate how a person's supposed to get God's peace. Um, a man named Kenneth Gangel, he writes in the Holman, the Holman New Testament commentary, he, writes it, he puts it this way. He says, only those who have peace with God can have the peace of God. If we don't get that right, if our perspective around peace is not correct, we'll go on searching and searching and searching. And to tie this back into, well, how is this a fruit of the Spirit, right? This whole sermon series talks about character with spiritual evidence. How is this in any way reliant on the Spirit of God? Well, it's simple. Even as I say the words, to find peace, you need to restore your relationship with God. There's a part of your heart that says, no, it can't be that simple. That there actually has to be something more. There's got to be something I can go by. There's got to be something that I can do. There's got to be some way that I can take control of the situation and find complete peace so that I can engage in life and face the troubles of life without relying on anybody outside myself. But I'm here to tell you that's absolutely untrue. And it's so important to get that right the spiritual evidence that you're showing is that you're willing to look outside yourself to a God who has the solutions for you. The problem that we face is a sin problem. And God already solved that problem when he sent his son to this world to pay for the penalty of sin. As Christians, we all know the gospel, right? We hear the gospel all the time. And then we, like I recently have experienced, go through some season of life where everything falls apart right? And when that happens, do we preach the gospel to ourselves? When we're looking at our finances are falling apart, when we're seeing that the work uh, or the job that we're doing, we're not performing well at, when the car breaks down, when everything's going wrong, do we hit the pause button and then just sit back and acknowledge that we are right with God because of Jesus Christ? Is that something that we do? That's not something that your human heart will ever want to do. It is something that will only happen if you day after day, when times are good, preach the gospel to yourself. And I'm not talking about scripture reading. That's so important. Don't mishear me. You should be reading your Bible every day. That's important. But what I really mean with this is every time that you have an opportunity, that it comes to your mind, acknowledge what Christ has done for you. Again, the world wants to tell you that you can go get something to fix the problem, and the Holy Spirit is speaking into your soul, saying the problem that you face has already been completed. If you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are fully, completely, forever forgiven of your sin, because God loved you that much. 
And if that's the perspective, if that's the view that you have of the world, you'll be in a, perhaps you'll be in a position where I am, trying to explain the peace of God and not having the words, but just being able to demonstrate it to others. It's my hope that we as Christians would be a people marked by peace in a world that is actually falling apart and where everybody around us is eager to complain about what's wrong with things. We would be eager to share the fact that the most significant problem that the world faces has been solved through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for those of you who, you know, don't have a relationship with Jesus, I get it you'll look at something like this and say, how, how is it that just knowing that Jesus died for me, how is it that just knowing that this Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago could change anything for me, right? Because it's so remarkably simple. The Bible calls the gospel, the gospel that I'm preaching, it calls it the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. When Jesus came and did the work of redemption on the cross, the nature of peace as we understand it changed radically. Before that, the work that people had to do to be right with God was, was never ending. It required the sacrifice of animals, keeping a whole litany of laws, like 600 and, 615 laws. It was a lifelong job to just be under God's grace and you had to work so hard and when Jesus came to the world and he said the words peace I leave with you my peace I give to you he meant it that there is something about what he has done and it will defy your logic logic doesn't have a place in this conversation this is something that is only experienced and it's something perfect and it's something beautiful and it's something that I encourage you look if you have not invited Christ into your life I, I encourage you to take that step. It's my hope that in a year, in six months, in three months, whatever the timeline is, for you as somebody who doesn't know God, that you would experience this peace of God, that it would surpass your understanding that you wouldn't have the words to share with others about how it works, but you would be transformed from the inside out. And as Paul promised, this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful that you could be with us today. I would love to pray for you. Please bow your heads with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord, and we just thank you so much for your great love, for the patience that you have with us, for your willingness to show us exactly what we need to see when we need to see it. We thank you, God, for the peace that you've brought through redemption on the cross. God, we thank you that that work was not something uh, that any of us could do, but it was freely bestowed upon us because of your love. God, I pray that as your people, we wouldn't spend so much time trying to, to bolster our knowledge of you at the expense of actually getting to know you. I pray that we as your people would would day after day, seek to know you personally. Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to us in, in ways that allow us to look at all the problems that are going on in our lives. Um, and in the midst of it, we would show all those around us that we actually have a bigger perspective than just the day-to-day -day activities of our jobs, but that we have a heavenly perspective and that the way that we engage with the world around us would show others that there is a real living hope that we can be born again to. Father, I pray if, that if, if, 
someone is listening or watching right now um, and they don't yet know you, that you would just reveal yourself to them in an incredibly powerful way. Um, God, I pray that you'd bring them to a place where they're ready to turn from their sin, turn to you and be saved and experience all the beautiful promises uh, that you've made. Thank you so much, Father, that Jesus died for our sins and that we can be born again to this living hope. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If you have given your life to Jesus today or would like to join, serve, or support Mountain View Church, please let us know. Email connect at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. That's connect at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. Lastly, feel free to connect with us through social. Just search at Mountain View Whitehorse. Have a blessed week.